G'day, welcome to the HR Cartel Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Dive. We're going to talk about a whole range of things. We'll talk about unions and the, the sort of things that they get up to. We'll talk about the regulator, the Fair Work Commission, and the decisions they're making. I'll give you some rundowns of some of the scenarios I'm working with with my clients, and hopefully you can find some common ground there, resonate with some things, and find some common sense in there somewhere. And we'll probably talk about some of the ludicrous stuff that academics say about running businesses and, uh, and, and look at all that too. It'll be fun anyway. Uh, but today what I want to talk about though is a little bit to do with this Secure Jobs Better Pay Act. That's the, the, that's the legal updates and amendments that the government's made as of December last year. And you would have heard a lot about it, it would have been bantered all through the, the media late last year, especially this uh, multi-employer bargaining stuff. Um, so I want to talk about what that means. I'm also going to talk a little bit about the uh, the minimum wage increases coming up. We had a big one last year. We're going to have a bigger one this year, come the end of June. And then I'm also going to talk about this uh, same job, same pay legislation, which the government's also bringing in now. Uh, now, why those three things? Well, these there's a whole lot we can talk about in terms of what's been changing in Australia with industrial relations and, and all that sort of stuff. No doubt you would have been invited to, to webinars and things with lawyers or, or anyone like that, and they would have you know, dribbled on, blah, 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 about all these changes. Okay, this change, that change, this date, that date, remember this, do that, right? There's so much. It's just it, it's enough to make you fall asleep and give up. Um, what I want to talk about is those three things because they're the real items that are going to increase the cost of running a company in this country if you employ people. That's what you've got to know about. Right. Um, so before we get stuck into that, this podcast, of course, is brought to us by Workplace Advisory Specialists. I am affiliated. I'm the, I'm the director of that company. But go on over there to www.workplaceas.com. Get some free employee performance management tools. You can download them now on that website. Podcasts just like this. Get some news updates. You can outsource your HR to us. You can get HR and IR advice by booking a consultation at that website. So go and check it out. Um, nothing's off limits. Book in, have a chat with me directly, and uh, we can get to the bottom of a, few, of a few things for you and get some support. So back at it. Those three items again. Multi-employer bargaining and how and why that will increase the cost of every business uh, in, in, in the country, not just those larger ones that it pertains to, to target. Uh, we're going to talk about the minimum wage increase coming up and why that's going to cost you more. And we'll talk about same job, same pay legislation. First off, multi-employer bargaining. Now, this has come out of the Secure Jobs Better Pay Act. And look, the, 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 the clue is in the title of that act. Secure jobs, better pay. It's going to cost you more money, right? It's going to restrict your flexibility with, with casual workforce with flexible working arrangements that you're, that you're legally allowed to use, it's targeting that and better pay. It's going to cost you more money, right? The, the, the clues in the headline. So th this is purely uh, to do with the union's war on flexible work. And I'll, I'll, explain, I'll explain why that is. But uh, uh, essentially, this multi-employer bargaining or single interest bargaining, as it's, as it's been called, can be confusing. There are essentially three layers of impact, depending on the size of the company you are as it relates to how many people you've got. Zero to 20 people, 20 to 50 people, and 50 plus. 
right? There's three different layers there. Um, what does single interest mean or multi-employer mean? What does it all mean? Single interest bargaining is the same as multi-employer bargaining, but it basically means that um, the you will have a common interest or something in common with an employer who's part of an enterprise bargaining agreement that's been struck between them and the union, for example. The union will apply to have you covered automatically also. Now, uh, that poses a whole range of problems. So let's just look at that for uh, for an instant, for a minute. You weren't a part of the negotiations. You had no role in the negotiations. You didn't get your views across. You didn't negotiate terms. You had no part of that at all. That's a that's a commercial risk, right? Um, being controlled or being having conditions imposed on you that you didn't prepare for or plan for. That's another risk. Okay, so there's, there's, they're the the surface level risks that uh, that are really easy to identify with that sort of thing. But how does it cost everyone more money? Well, let's look at the first layer that I spoke about, the, the zero to 20 employee size business. Now, no, you're not, you're not gonna be dragged into coverage by a single interest bargaining agreement. You can't be, okay, you're excluded. No, you, know, you can choose to, but why would you? I don't know why you would. You can choose to go and have um, coverage on, under any agreement, um, but, what yeah, the, the whole thing with the exclusion from for the smaller businesses with under twenty employees doesn't really mean anything. Um, so you're not going to be forced by a union to prove that you are different to others to avoid coverage by the enterprise agreement. That's one cost element that you're not going to be suffering. But let's look at it this way: single interest means. And the, and the unions have said this, this is how they're interpreting it. It could mean, it, it's anything to do with geographical location, it could be a skill of an employee that you hire, industry, whatever it is. Let's say for argument's sake, you're a retail business in a Westfield shopping center. There's a hundred other businesses in that shopping center alongside you that you, that you rub shoulders with, right? One of, those, one of those businesses in that shopping center strikes a deal with the enterprise bargaining agreement deal with the union, that union then says, well, you're in that Westfield shopping center. It's the same geographical location. It's the same clientele. It's the same, uh, you're, you're, you're drawing on the same skill set, retail staff. They're all common interests. Therefore, you're all covered by this agreement unless you prove otherwise, depending on the size you are. Now, as I said, zero to 20 people, don't, you don't have to uh, be forced for coverage or prove that you're different. Um, however, you're still going to be competing for the employees that are working in that shopping center. Okay, the, the businesses that, you're, that are your neighbours, very tight neighbours in that shopping centre, they're all being forced to pay these higher wages that lifts the, 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 the competitive rate that you have to pay to employ someone. If you employ somebody at a lower rate, they're going to go soon. They're going to jump ship and, and see um, the other jobs being advertised in that shopping centre and get the higher wages. Um, so that gives you two things. You're going to have worse performance because you're getting bottom of the barrel stuff and you're gonna be forced to pay higher wages to retain good people. So that's how it would drive your cost up, even though you're not even covered by it, okay? Let's look at 20 to 50 employees. Now that's different. The union can allege that you have a common interest and you are now covered, but the burden of proof sits with the union. So the union will have to go to the Fair Work Commission and justify why you're, you've got a common interest. Now, that's, that's a good thing for, for you if you're 20 to 50 employees. That's a benefit you've got for those uh, over those that are over 50 employees. 
Now, you're still going to have the additional cost of, of having to participate in this process, having to defend it and, and refuse it. Um, your internal resources, you're going to have to engage a consultant like me or a lawyer uh, to go in and, and speak for you so you can avoid that coverage if that's what you want to do. So there's extra cost right there. Um, but again, the same applies as the, as the 0 to 20 employees. Even if you're not covered by that bargaining agreement, depending on the scenario, you're, you're going to be pushed to pay those higher wages anyway. Um, more cost, right? Let's look at 50 and over. Employee, uh, people with uh, companies with more than 50 employees. Now, a union can allege you've got a common interest and it's deemed to be true unless you prove it isn't so. So that means the onus of the proof or the, the burden of the proof is on you to say that you're not, um, you don't share that, that common interest. Now, why is this such a bad thing? It's, you, you can imagine the cost of doing so, going into battle and going to the Fair Work Commission, engaging your lawyers, your consultants, putting all the evidence together to present your case, right? That's a big burden. Of course it is. Um, the cost of all the other players around you lifting their wages, that's a burden, yes, of course it is. But here's the big commercial risk for, for you. And we don't have to look too far to see evidence of when this stuff happens. You can just look at the construction sector and you can see union coercion and, uh, you know, um, corruption, let's call it that, uh, part, yeah, partnering up with employers to target their competitors uh, happens all the time in that construction sector. So let's look, let's look at this retail um, example again. You're gonna, you've got a Westfield shopping centre, you've got let's say a JB Hi-Fi, and apologies JB Hi-Fi, I don't mean to drag you into this, but just using you as, a, as an example. JB Hi-Fi's HR team and uh, IR team think to themselves, hang on a second, we're gonna get ahead of the, head of the ball here. Um, let's invite the union in, we'll do their first deal, we'll be the first cab off the rank, we'll get this deal done, we'll get our terms heard, our wants heard, we'll create this agreement, with this union, we'll get it over the line. Um, however, we're gonna ask them uh, when they come in, we'll only do this with you on the proviso that you now go and target A, B and C competitors, right? Because we've got A, A, B and C competitors uh, right next to us in in 10 or 15 Westfield shopping centers that we operate in, right? So you target those guys, we'll give you the, we'll give you the agreement. Deal, done. What happens next? That deal gets done, those three A, B, and C competitors, the union now goes to them and says, you're a common interest. You're covered by this agreement. Now, let's say those A, B, and C competitors, that their competitive advantage might have been wages. Maybe they didn't have to pay uh, people for whatever reason as higher rates as the JB Hi-Fi people did, and that gave them their own only competitive advantage against that big player. Well, if you roll over and accept the coverage, your, your wages are fixed. Your wages are price fixed now. You've been brought up to JB Hi-Fi's costs and now you've got no more competitive advantage. That's one risk. If you go in, if you want to challenge that coverage and say, no, we're not, we're not common interest with that, with that organisation, so we, don't, we shouldn't be covered by their terms and agreement and, and conditions, well, then your only option then is to fight it in the Fair Work Commission. And many, many people, much smarter than me, even though I agree with them, much smarter than me are saying, most likely, the only way you can really prove that you don't have a common interest, if it's been alleged, is to disclose your intellectual property and your confidential information. Essentially, open, open your books, open your doors. 
and publicly disclose to the Fair Work Commission your trade secrets, the way you operate, your inventions, your methods, your processes, the things that make you competitive uh, to, to prove that you, are, you function differently, differently enough than that JB Hi-Fi to avoid coverage by their, by their agreements, by their conditions. So you can see the risk there, right? That's bullshit. That is just such garbage. Now, the Fair Work Commission is, isn't going to sign an NDA and, and not disclose your information. They're not going to do that. Um, the commission is going to write about it, about their decision, when they, and that's a, a publicly released document. Okay, So whatever drove the commissioner's decision about the difference of you operationally will be listed within that decision. Potentially, what you submit, what you disclose to the commission will be public, um, uh, access, publicly accessible. Um, we'll see. But uh, that's a huge, huge risk for any business to have to disclose their intellectual property about how they operate, how they function. So, you, you know, you can see how a big player might have that, uh, that motivation to strike a deal with the union where they don't have that motivation yet, but they, they're about to get it. They might have that motivation to strike a deal to target their competitors and, and push you out. Um, so, obviously, there are unintended consequences of legislation that comes out. I'm not saying that that is the intention of the ACTU uh, or the Labor government to cause union coercion and all that sort of stuff, but it happens. It already happens, and it's just an unintended consequence of legislation like this. So that's going to happen. That's why it's going to drive up your cost as well. Okay, that's the that's the enterprise bargaining side of things. Um, what what I want to do now is I'll very quickly touch on this minimum uh, wage increase dilemma that we that we face right now. Last year was a big one. It was about five and a half percent. I could be wrong. It was, it was around, around about five and a half percent, though, um, and that was the largest in a long time. The largest minimum pay increase, the minimum wage increase for modern awards and the national minimum wage. Um, this year, everyone's predicting it's going to be somewhere between six and seven percent. Now, enterprise agreements that are being struck right now or drafted right now are looking at including annual increases in their enterprise agreements. And you're looking at 5 to 6% annual increases and upwards for the term of those agreements. Those terms are probably four years long usually, um, you know, three to four years typically. Um, that's going to drive up the cost of running companies in, in different industries. But just instantly... In, from July 1, we're going to see an automatic increase of, you know, 6 to 7%. Uh, that's what's predicted. So last year at 5.5%, some of my clients have just absorbed that, uh, uh, that increase because they were paying high, high enough wages anyway. Others were very close. Others had to increase. This year, many more are going to have to lift their, their wages July 1. So uh, be ready for that. That is going to cost you more money to run your company. So be ready. Uh, the third and last that I want to talk about is same job, same pay. Because, you know, I had a good question actually just last week from a, a client of, of mine. We're writing some enterprise agreements. And this is the question. With same job, same pay legislation coming out, you know, I've got, I've got people employed in my business and they're, they're awesome. You know, I, I pay them extremely well. Um, they're going to be covered by the enterprise agreement. Uh, they're, they're true, tried and tested employees. They're here for the long term. They've, 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 they've proven their worth and I reward them tremendously for it. I want to employ someone else to come in who's qualified, who's experienced. I want to bring them into the business. But 
they're not true, tried and tested like my other people are. I don't want to put them on those extremely high rates. I, I want to have them just come in and we try each other out. Once they pass a probation or whatever, then they can go up on those higher rates. But you know, I don't want to have to pay everybody those extremely high rates that I pay my, my people now. Um, does same job, same pay legislation force me to do that? It's a great question. Um, in that case, the answer is no. It's, it doesn't force you to do that. Um, the way, so thankfully in, in that scenario, we're writing an enterprise agreement, we'll just write, we'll draft up a classification for those new entry employees and they get paid under that classification, problem solved. But um, look, same job, same pay relates really to the use of labour hire people mostly. And uh, let, let's, let's look at it this way. You're an employer, um, you're on a project or a site, or maybe you have your own EBA, enterprise agreement. Um, you know, or, some, or the site you're on has, a, has an enterprise agreement that you have to abide by, um, and you're going to engage some, um, some casual or flexible workers through labour hire because some need arose, okay? Um, you're going to bring those in, those uh, labour hire employees in. They're not your employees, right? You're engaging them through a labour hire company. You pay the labour hire company. The labour hire company is their employer. They pay the, the workers, so by law, the enterprise agreement is not allowed to apply to those workers coming in, right? It only applies to the employers or the people who are a part of that agreement or covered by the scope of that agreement. Lawfully is not allowed to be applied to those workers coming in. So that's, that's legislation, right? But what the government's managed to do is write this same job, same pay, uh, uh, amendments to, that, that says, well, if you're going to engage labour hire and there's these other rates being paid on the site, other terms and conditions being paid on the site that are more favourable, every week you make these payments, you're going to have to do a, a test to say, well, if this person worked under those conditions, what's the difference? And you now have to make a, a top-up payment uh, to, to match those, those, those rates, those wages, those conditions. Um, that's what same job, same pay means. Um, so let's just think about that for a second. So is that going to drive up the cost of how you work? Yes, it is, if you use labour hire people. Um, now, you know, that's a big deterrent for companies to stay away from labour hire just because you just employ them directly yourself now. You're going to have the same cost. Um, you know, you're going to have less administrative burden to check every week uh, if they're being paid right. You're going to have surprise invoices from your labour hire people. So you've agreed on terms, you've agreed on conditions, how much it's going to cost you to engage these people, and then bang, labour hire is stinging you for top-up payments. That's not a good thing, okay? That's that's not going to uh, bode well for labour hire businesses. It's not going to bode well for their relationships and trust with their with their clients. It's just all bad. That's the intention from the of the unions, right? The unions don't want labour hire people. They don't want casuals. They don't want contractors. They don't want gig workers. Okay, that's what all this is about. It's about getting rid of all that, all those classifications and the employer's ability to use flexible working arrangements. Okay, that's the point. If the government can do that, if the government can find a way to go against what the law says, that this person can't be covered by these terms and conditions, is not eligible for those terms and conditions in law, the government's found a way to force you to do that, What's next? What do you think is next? Independent contractors, casual employees, gig workers. They're going to be targeted next as well. Do you use them? 
I bet you do, right? In some way. I bet you might intend to in some way too in the future if you're not already right now. So does that drive up your cost? Absolutely, that's going to drive up your cost. They're going to try and deter you from going down that pathway. That's crazy. So many people in Australia right now, just everyday people, don't want permanent work. They want the flexibility, right? They, 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 want, to work, they want to work casual hours. They want to be independent contractors. That's how companies get started. That's how innovation happens. That's how productivity gets boosted. That's how jobs are created. It's just absolutely crazy. It's bullshit. It's, it's absolute bullshit that uh, the government can impose uh, some uh, terms on a business and a, an employee that in law do not apply. So not, you know, nothing's out of reach for these, for these, for these people. Um, be aware of it. That is going to drive up your costs. So um, you know, keep on top of these things. Uh, it's it's just it's it's such a shame this is happening because you know, Australia's productivity levels are insanely bad right now. They're so bad. You can you can blame that on people not wanting to come to the office after COVID. You can blame all the flexible working requests. You can blame uh, you know uh, caring responsibilities and aging aging populations and all sorts of stuff all you like. Okay, but. A, a way to make businesses more productive is to allow them to bend and flex with the market trends, with their own strategic plans, uh, and all that sort of stuff. That creates industries. It creates opportunities. It creates more jobs. It creates more, um, you know, a stronger economy. The Labor government and the unions are starting to pull that away. So, um, you know, be aware of that because that that is coming. I, I, I can guarantee you. Um, participate, I beg you, participate in the government's consultation papers that it, that it puts out there. Give your views, give your feedback if you're, if you're an employer. Okay. Now, look, I've, I've said this before and I'll finish on this. I've said this, I've said this before. I am not anti-union. You might scoff and laugh at that. and Many people would. But, you know, I'm not anti-union. Absolutely, I am for the employer. All day long, I'm for the employer. I'm not for those tier ones with 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 employees setting up offices all over the, all over the world, um, using our resources, taking money out of the country, not paying the right tax and all, all that sort of stuff. I'm not talking about those, those, those ones when I say employers. Uh, I'm talking about the 2 million plus other businesses out there that employ 5 or 6 million Australians. They're mum and dad companies, they're local owners, they've got local shareholders and stakeholders, they participate in communities, they create opportunities, and they need to be viable businesses. They get impacted the most by this war that the unions and the Labor government have on tier one operators against employers that, and maybe right, rightly so, maybe, but the trickle down effect that has on the two million plus other businesses that are just trying to employ people and, and manage a business, make something of their lives, it's a huge impact. It makes many businesses non-viable. Drive through any town and see the see the, the the closed shop fronts. You know, it's it's a tough environment right now. Times aren't easy. These things don't make it any easier. Employers need to be able to flex. They need to be able to make decisions, not have restrictions. Um, you know, and and people want flexibility. You know, you, you talk to anyone who's hiring people. What are the questions that their candidates that are applying for jobs are asking? What's the flexibility like? 
how many days can I stay at home? Can I be out of the office? Can I, can I do it part-time? Can I do it casually? Uh, you know, this happens. These questions are happening every day. Ask anyone you know who's recruiting. Ask a recruitment agency. People don't want the restrictions that the Labor government and unions are, are imposing on our national system. So speak up. Speak up, please. Okay, that's it. So we'll talk more about a whole range of things. If you've got any questions about that, contact me via the workplaceas.com website. Um, shoot in some questions. Shoot in some topics. We'll talk about them. Uh, until next time, keep your workplace tight and we'll get all through it.